Today, as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at the, the posture of prayer, and we're looking specifically at a prayer that was prayed by Daniel of the Old Testament. So our passages, or our passage rather, is Daniel 9, verses 1 through 19. But here's ultimately what I want us to see today, is this. Not that I'm drinking water, but rather this. That the posture of your prayer reveals the posture of your heart. The posture of your prayer reveals the posture of your heart. What I mean by that is this, is the way that you pray, the way that you commune and interact with God isn't something that we should necessarily be striving for to do a certain way, but rather it's an outflow and a product of what's happening in here. Does that make sense? So we're going to look at the posture of prayer, but at the same time today we're looking at the posture of our own hearts, and we're going to look at an example of Daniel and the, the posture that Daniel had and how that directly implicates his prayer in Daniel 9. Before we get there, a little recap of Daniel. Some of you may be familiar with Daniel. Some of you may know a few key stories. We can start in chapter Daniel 1. Daniel is chosen to serve, right? He's in captivity, but he's chosen to serve with a few other guys by the names of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You may know them more familiarly as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They're chosen to serve. They're chosen worthy to be used for service. And then later, shortly after, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that nobody can interpret, right? Daniel is summoned because he's given the interpretation of this dream through God the Father. So Daniel comes forth, he interprets his dream, he gains favor with the king and all of his people, and rises up to even more responsibility in their kingdom. Shortly after that, Nebuchadnezzar sets up a statue, and he asks people to worship and to bow down and, and to fall in front of the statue. This is probably something you're familiar with. Ab- Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They are like, hey, we're not going to do that. We're going to stand firm. We're not bowing down. Sure, okay, that's fine. We're going to throw you into a furnace. Probably sounds familiar to some of you all. Well, the furnace does not touch them. It doesn't harm them. They come out unscathed. Shortly after that, there's handwriting that needs to be interpreted that's on a wall from a different king, from King Belshazzar. And again, Daniel is summoned to come and interpret this. So Daniel's gaining favor and is able to interpret things and rising in the kingdom amongst these people who are not God's people, but he's still having favor as he rises. Shortly after that, there's a decree sent out about prayer and who you ought to be praying to or who you ought not to be praying to. And the Lord, our God, is spoken as someone that should not be prayed to. But Daniel isn't going to fall and not pray to his God. So he continues in prayer, knowing there's potential circumstances. And here's another key story for the kids. You might be familiar with Daniel in the lion's den, right? This is it. Daniel chapter 6. He gets put into the lion's den for praying to God. He's left there overnight. He's protected and comes out the other side. And people praise the God that Daniel serves because of that. Then we get into chapter 7 of Daniel. And this is maybe where it's a little bit more unfamiliar territory. Chapter 7, Daniel receives a vision, and this directly leads into what we're going to talk about today. Daniel receives a vision of four beasts. We're not going to dive into all the, the, the details of that vision, but here's the most important part, is at the end of the vision, Daniel perceives that there is destruction coming and desolation coming. And I love the last verse of chapter 7, if you have it open. 
basically Daniel says, hey, I'm, I've, I've turned pale and I don't really know what to do, right? So he's, there's obvious distress, turning pale, his skin color turning pale like he was sick and anxious and not knowing what to do. And then two years later, he receives another vision. This one is a vision about a goat and a ram. And again, we aren't going to dive into all those details, but here's what I want you to hear about this. The vision reveals to Daniel that more destruction and desolation is coming, but at the same time, there's a future kingdom coming. Let me read the end of chapter 8 for us today to lead us into chapter 9. This is the interpretation of the vision. Speaking of one of the kingdoms, it says, His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. And he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then, listen to this, I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Interesting. This vision brings him such anxiety that he lays sick for many days but he continues doing what he was told to do. He continues his service to the king, even though he didn't have full understanding of what was to happen. Maybe you can relate to that. We're going to talk more about it in a second, but let's talk about this first. What was Daniel facing? Several things are happening this time. He's facing God's judgment, right? His people are in captivity. They're feeling this. They're feeling God's judgment come down on them for not obeying and not listening, right? God's destruction and desolation is all around them. It's very evident of what's happening, And then on top of all that, he has two more visions regarding future judgment. You can probably guess the despair and the feeling that Daniel felt in these moments where it's God, I would imagine it's like, come on, seriously? Where's the end of this? How can we relate to this today? Well, we are also exiles in a foreign land, right? This is not our home not only the United States of America, not our home, but even this earth as we know it will pass away and there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. So we're exiles in the same sense. And we also, I think, can agree that we see destruction every single day. We see things out of order. We see things in chaos and disorder and not how God would intend it to be. What else do we see? We see a place of desolation, even within the church. Not just Summit Church, but the larger church. I came across this quote that I want to share with you from John Piper. And this was, was part of a sermon that he gave in 1992, so some 30 years ago. And I think what he says is even true today, 30 years forward. It says this, I see much of the Christian church today as desolate. The ruin of Jerusalem and the captivity of Israel and Babylon are pictures of the church today in many places around the world. There are pockets of life and purity and depth and faithfulness and power and zeal around the world. God will never give up on his people, and he will get his global purposes done, even if he has to use a remnant to do it. But much of the Christian movement today has become a desolation of disobedience and disunity and dishonor to the name of Christ. So the way Daniel prays for the desolation of his people is a pointer for how we can pray 
for the desolation of ours. Destruction, desolation. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe those two words describe your life very well of what you are facing, the things that are coming down the road in the coming weeks and months and potentially years. Maybe you feel like you're in a desert, in a dry spot, and you just are are striving for some water, just looking for a, a breath of fresh air and a drop from the spring. Good news for you. You're not alone. Daniel faced something far greater probably than what you're facing today. But look at what Daniel's response was. We're going to see here in a moment, as we get into chapter 9, that Daniel responded to chaos and uncertainty with prayer and fasting. Fitting, right? Because this is, this is July. It's our month of prayer and fasting. Not that you can't pray and fast outside of July, but for what's happening now in the life of Summit Church, I think we can relate very much to Daniel. So with that, let's get into today's passage. It's a long one. It's 19 verses, okay? So bear with me. I may stop for a drink of water. We'll see. Um, but here we go. Daniel 9, we've kind of set the, set the stage of what's happening in his time, and we're going to start now in verse 1 and lead into his prayer, starting in verse 4. In the first year of, now I would say Darius. In my study, I learned some people say Darius. Either way, in the first year of Darius slash Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your, fa- to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And all the curse and the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which we spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, 
we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to the pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see your desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Quite a lengthy prayer. There's a lot of of great things in there that I want to make sure we touch on and look at today. But I'm sure a few things immediately stand out to you. But the thing that stands out to me is the posture that Daniel takes. And again, the posture of his prayer and the way he prays reveals something about his heart. So let's take a look at how to posture. Oh, yeah, how to posture your heart before you pray. The first one is this. Remind yourself of gospel promises. Daniel was clearly a man who knew scripture. Let's look at what did Daniel know? Well, he knew a few things. He knew as he started out that Jeremiah had prophesied about 70 years of desolation. And by Daniel's calculation, he knew that those 70 years were nearing and hopefully hopefully concluding. But Daniel also knew that he had had these two visions in chapter 7 in chapter 8, about more destruction and desolation to come. They both reveal the affliction that Daniel was experiencing or receiving, and he also didn't have complete understanding of what was to come. I'm sure if I asked you, hey, have you faced something in the last year or two where you didn't have full understanding of what was to come? I'm sure many of us would raise our hands and say, yeah, I've been there. I can understand what it's like of, of not knowing the uncertainty of the future and knowing maybe something negative or bad or challenging is going to be coming, and not really knowing what to do. Daniel also probably knew Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus chapter 26, both promises of destruction and exile for not following God's commands and his law. So Daniel, I think, knows this in the back of his head, knowing we haven't done it. We haven't followed the law. We as a people have transgressed the law and walked aside. And so destruction and exile has to happen to fulfill God's word. But Daniel also knew in Deuteronomy 30 the promise that repentance would lead to restoration. Deuteronomy 30, verses 2 and 3. They're not on the screen, but listen to this. And return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today. With all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. I would imagine in the back of Daniel's mind somewhere, this is what he was hoping would be happening. Hey, it's time to repent. It's time to return to the Lord. And in doing so, God will bring us restoration and regathering of our people. Daniel had these visions of destruction to come, but he also knew this. The visions also revealed that God's kingdom was to come. 
They revealed that God's kingdom was everlasting. They revealed that God's kingdom was never to be destroyed. So on one hand, there's this, this hanging, impending idea of destruction and desolation, more to come. And wait, we've been, it should be the end of our 70 years. Why is there more destruction and desolation? What's happening here? But on the other hand, well, God's kingdom is coming. How do those work together? How do they fit together? I think we live in a similar place. Hopefully you have the hope of a future kingdom in your life, and you know that there is a kingdom to come that shall never pass away and is everlasting and never to be destroyed. But we're still here in West Michigan in 2022, and there's destruction and desolation and hardship that we face. Daniel knew all this. Hopefully you do as well. As we posture our heart, I think this is important to remind ourselves of the gospel and what is true. That's our first one today. Remind yourself of gospel promises. Here's the second one. Remember who God is. Seems silly to say, right? But if you actually boil it down and think about it, how often do we actually forget who God is? We might remember parts of God, and we might remember that God's there, but to say, wait, no, hold on, let's stop, and let's really remember who God is as we enter into our time of prayer. This prayer that Daniel prays is riddled with different attributes of God, and we're going to look at them here, kind of rip through them quickly. Verse 4, he calls great, he calls God great. He also says awesome, the great and awesome God. He says that God is a covenant keeper and steadfast in love. Things that we're not, right? We, we strive for these things. We strive to be covenant keepers. But if we're honest with ourselves, we fall short. We strive to be steadfast in our love, but we all know that we're wavering in our love. God is not like us, but he is the same God that he was then and now. In verse 7 and 14 and 16, Different, different ways of speaking it, but he says that God is the, the owner of righteousness, I would say. He says, to you belong righteousness. Any claims that we have to be righteous are completely false. We don't own it. You'll see in a minute what we do own, but it's not righteousness, right? God is the owner of righteousness. He's also the owner of mercy and forgiveness from verse 9. He owns that. It belongs to him. He's the king of mercy. He's the king of forgiveness. Nobody does it the way that God does it. Again, he's not like us. He's different than us, but same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 15 says he brought his people out of Egypt. He's faithful to do the things that he says he'll do. And also in verse 15, he made a name for himself. The great name of Jesus Christ and God the Father delivering the people, and doing the things that he says he will do. Remember who God is. Posture your heart before you pray by remembering who God is. Here's the third one this morning. Remind yourself of the gospel promises. Remember who God is and repent of your sinful nature. Notice the language that Daniel uses and think to yourself, does he take his sin and the sin of his people lightly or very seriously? In verse 5, 8, 11, 15, he says, hey, we're sinners. In verse 5, he says, wrongdoers. 
Also in verse 5 and 15, they've committed wicked acts. We're wicked people. We've done wicked things. In verse 5 and 9, he, he talks about rebellion. We're rebellious. We've all experienced that in our hearts. We've all had that moment where we know what the right thing to do is, but we choose to do otherwise for whatever reason, to please ourselves, to fulfill our own heart and what we want to do. Verse 5 and verse 11, we've turned aside and transgressed the law. Verse 6, we're poor listeners. Now, that, that doesn't just mean like to your wife, husbands. This is like we're poor listeners to God the Father, right? He's given us instructions on how we ought to be living and how we ought to be leading our lives, but we're very quick to stray aside and to do our own thing and to not listen to what God's directed us in his word. Verse 7 and 8, we're owners of open shame. Oof. Compare that with God, the owner of righteousness and mercy and forgiveness. We get to be the owners of open shame. Hopefully, as you think about posture, that humbles you a little bit and says, oh yeah, who am I in relation to God? God is righteous and merciful and forgiving, and I am not. I'm not going to pretend that I am. I need to remember that I am the owner of open shame. I deserve shame for the wicked and rebellious acts that I've done. And lastly, verse 10, 11, and 14, the people that he's praying on behalf, and I think also for us, we've refused to obey God. Again, we strive not to. We strive to, to be obedient to God, but if we're honest, we wake up in the morning, we don't go that long before we, obey, or before we disobey God. Whether it's in our hearts, in our minds, in our speech. So in a lot of ways, I think this prayer that Daniel prays is very, it could be very easily translated to the church today. Because God hasn't changed. God's the same, same God. And I think people are very similar too. I think we share a lot of things in common with these people. As you look at this list, I can read through that and just kind of go, yep, uh, yep, that's me, check, check, yep, all, all those. I don't listen. I'm wicked. I'm sinful. I'm rebellious. I do these things that I don't want to do, and I do them over and over again. And I find myself in the same place over and over again. How much time has Daniel spent asking requests of God compared to the amount of time he has spent adoring and admitting sin? If you look, I think we started in verse 4 with the prayer, and now we're in verse 15. He hasn't made one request yet. He hasn't said, hey, by the way, I need this thing. Can you take care of that? He spent all this time, all these words, all this effort doing two things, adoring and admitting. Adoring and admitting. Consider the posture of his prayer. Look at this on the screen. We have adoration in verse 4, followed by admission, and more adoration, more admission, more adoration, and way more admission, and adoration, admission, and adoration, and one last admission. He has this rhythm of, God, you're great. We are not. We're different. And God, we need you. You can sense it in his voice as you read his words. There's a a plea of mercy and a crying out to him, begging to God, saying, you are so much better than we are. We are so low. We can't even come near you. We don't deserve you. Daniel understood his standing before God 
and for his own people. Notice this also. I find this extremely interesting. Never once in this prayer does Daniel use the word they. We, we, we. Now, Daniel, as we know, as we read through chapters 1 through 8, Daniel was a righteous man who did right in the eyes of the Lord. So there would be a strong temptation, I think, to say, God, man, you are great. You are awesome. These people don't get it. They don't understand. They're wicked. You know what they did? Did you hear about Jimmy last week? Jeez. But Daniel puts himself in a place with his people and says, we, we have sinned. We have rebelled. We have acted wickedly. We have transgressed your law. We have walked aside. We have not listened. He places himself with his people. And I'll tell you what, when I read that, that was a very convicting thing for me on a personal level because how often does someone ask me how to pray, say, hey, how can I pray for you? And I say something like this. Well, you know, uh, my friend, he could really use prayer for or, yeah, I was talking to my neighbor the other day, and he really needs. How selfish is that? That's not what Daniel did. He said, hey, we, this is what we need. I'm part of this. Maybe that convicts you. Maybe that's just something for me in this. But to recognize that we're all equally as sinful. You've probably heard it said, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level, Right? We all need God's direction. We all need his guidance, but we also need his forgiveness and his mercy. Number three, repent of your sinful nature. All right, so we've adored, we've admitted. There's also a place for asking. And so number four is this. Number four is recognize God's ability to handle your requests. It'd be silly for me to get up here and say, hey, listen, like, stop asking God for things. He doesn't want that. No, he does. He cares about that. He cares about the little things. He cares about the big things. But all in all, the posture isn't running to God with a laundry list and a grocery list of things that need to be accomplished in your life. And God, I need this, and I need this, and I need this, and I need this. Daniel asks for God in verse 16 to let his anger and his wrath turn away. But notice, as he makes that request, his posture doesn't change, right? So it's not like he's like, okay, like I'll do all like the adoration and, and admitting stuff, and I'll be over here, and then, okay, like, check that box. Now I'm over here. Hey, God, by the way, here's the things we need. Can you just like not be as mad at us and like let your wrath pass away? No. Look at verse 18. He continues to maintain the posture of prayer that he began with. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. You ever feel like God owes you? You ever feel like, man, God, just give me this one. Life's been hard. I just need this one thing. I deserve it. I've said that prayer. I'm not proud of it. Not because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. So as we pray, posturing our prayer appropriately appropriately reveals our hearts to come before the Lord and to make requests and to know that he can handle them. We don't have to, to 
be timid and think, oh, well, I can't ask God that because he doesn't care about that. Or, well, I can't ask God that because he won't actually grant that or he won't actually answer that prayer. No, do come. Daniel did. Daniel has a big ask. He's saying, hey, can we let the desolation stop? Is the 70 years done? I know you can do it, God. I know you can bring an end to this, that you can turn your calamity away from us and that we can be escaped of this exile and this desolation. But only after admitting and adoring and remembering the things that God has done. The posture of your prayer reveals the posture of your heart. So where are you at this morning? Let's bring it, bring it home a little bit. Do you only heap requests and asks of God when you think about your own prayer life? Is it just, I'm just going to rip through this list of questions and things I need. Hey, God, help me with this today. I need this today. I need that today. I need, 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 need. Or do you ever just sit and pray and say, God, you are awesome and mighty and wonderful and you don't have to give me another thing. You've given me enough. You've given me life. You've given me forgiveness. That's all I need. Maybe you don't ask because you don't have faith to ask. Maybe what you need to hear today is, hey, guess what? God does care. Posture your heart and posture your prayer appropriately, and he will answer your prayers. Right? Scripture tells us that some of us ask and we don't receive because we ask wrongly looking to spend it on ourselves. That's not the heart that Daniel has. Daniel's playing for his people. So that's number four. Recognize God's ability to handle your requests. Jeff, go ahead and hit that next slide. Let's have them all up there together for a second. So this isn't like the, the four steps to prayer, the key to prayer, right? Like this is an example of Daniel and drawing out some things that Daniel does leading into and during his prayer, right? Reminding himself of gospel promises, remembering who God is, repenting of his sinful nature, recognizing God's ability to handle his requests. Now the goal of today is not that you would all leave here thinking like, okay, I just got to like, I got to do these things and then I'll be a better prayer. And then next year, if we do another month of prayer and fasting next year, I'll be so much better at praying and my fasting will be like that much better. No, that's not the goal at all. The goal is to get at your heart. Remember the, the posture of your prayer only reveals the posture of your heart. Think about your heart this morning. The goal is that we would all posture our hearts appropriately before the Lord, that we would recognize how great and awesome he is and how not awesome and not great we are. And that we would come before him freely, willingly able to, to adore him and admit things and ask of him. Because when you do that and you recognize who you are before God, it actually frees you up in a lot of ways. You don't have to put on the facade. You don't have to word your words the right way anymore. I promise you this, if we collectively as a church, myself included, if we posture our hearts appropriately before the Lord, our prayers are naturally going to flow out. There's no way they can't. 
So as we look at this passage, don't look at it thinking like, oh, I need to pray just like Daniel did, and I need to say these things and do these things. Those things will happen automatically if we focus on here. If we focus on the posture of our hearts as we come before the Lord and recognize him for all that he is. Let's pray together now. And I'm going to pray for us, but I'm actually going to finish praying the same prayer that Daniel did for his people. So let's go into prayer right now. Father, we don't deserve anything from you. You've given us all far more than we deserve. You are so mighty and worthy of our praise, Lord. It's because of your great name that we can call you Father, that we can call you our Lord and Savior. Father, forgive us for the ways that we've turned away, for the wicked acts we've committed. And Father, we join now in in Daniel's words as we pray the words of his prayer. Oh, our God, listen to our prayer and to our pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the people that are called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own namesake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Amen.